Right now on Tech Radio, let's get pixelated. Hi, I'm Artemis. I am a computer-generated AI voice, and you're listening to Tech Radio. Every week online and on air with RTE Radio, we bring you the latest in tech. You're welcome to episode 990. This week, the new toys from Google come with quite an amazing range of AI features. We check out the phones and all of the new things they can do. We also look at the positive side of social media and ask UCD's Taha Yasseri if wisdom of crowds is a good thing. This is Tech Radio with Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson. Joining us, as always, is our editor-in-chief and, dare I say, leader, Niall Kitson. Uh, now, big event this week was Google. Did you did you watch or are you just kind of waiting for me to bring you up to speed? Oh, I'm waiting on you to bring it up to speed because you're much better <laughs> at watching these announcements than I am. I'm getting old and cranky be- and I can't, yeah, ha- I can't yeah, keep yeah. watching them. Uh, well, I don't blame you because I have to say, when you compare this to Apple and even to Microsoft in some ways, it was boring. Really? It wasn't as boring as Amazon, but it was boring. So it's kind of like, hmm. Yeah, maybe that says more about me, the fact that I watched it. Anyway, listen, I went through the pain so that I can fill you in on what Google have done. And the summary, which I'll give you the detail in a second, is like the tech, yeah, yeah, yeah. The AI, wow, wow, wow. All right? Okay. So I'll start with the phone. Hmm. We've got the Pixel 8 and and then we've got the Pixel 8 Pro, right? Mm -hmm. No huge change in design from the from the previous model. They've put it, they've upgraded the processor, so it's bigger, better, faster, harder. Uh, they've made some improvements with the camera. But what worried me is they say battery life is now twenty four hours. Oh, okay. like, well, that's interesting because I believe that the last one was seventy two. <laughs> huh. like, where are they going? Well, with maybe that? maybe they're so talking about you know talk time versus standby or something like that. Uh, Whatever. Um, the pro version, this is the kind of, get, you know, there's always a little thing that gets everybody's attention. Yeah. And the thing that got everybody's attention is that on the Pixel 8 Pro, they've added a temperature gauge. So that's kind of interesting. And what's the first thing you would think of doing with a temperature gauge? Well, I mean, if you're ill, put it on your forehead. Precisely. Exactly. Except this temperature gauge will not measure the temperature of humans. It will do cups of coffee. It will do plants. It will do glasses of water. I think the reason that it doesn't do humans is because they haven't got clearance from whoever the medical authorities are in the States just oh, yet yeah, to yeah. prove it. And whenever they do, I'm sure that they will uh, add it. Or you could just tell the phone that you are a cup of coffee and then take a temperature that way. Or, or now in fairness, I do find features like that quite useful during the summer so you can find out how warm it is inside, that, that kind of thing. Uh, I have a smart heating system, so it will tell me mm. room by room what the temperature is. So uh, I, I can well understand the value in having a temperature gauge. Mind you, I it's, it's not remote. So, you know, at the moment I can tell you what it is in my bedroom, but I'm miles and miles mm. and miles away. Uh, so I guess this feature kind of yeah, it, 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 yeah, it's a good bit gimmicky. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a bit of use. Uh, price on the phones, uh, $7.99 uh, for the basic and uh, just over grand, uh, 1100 quid for the Pixel 8 Pro. So it's kind of, it's okay price-wise. If you pre-order, and if you order now with Google or with any of the, you know, Vodafone or, or, or 3 or whoever, uh, if you get the Pixel 8 regular, they'll throw in free uh, earbuds. 
And if you get the Pixelate Pro, they will give you a free smartwatch too. Okay. Well, that's that's quite nice. But the Pixel phones are famous for two things. One is sort of the vanilla as vanilla gets version of Android. And the other historically has been the camera. So how are we doing on either of those? Uh, well, with design features, it's as vanilla as ever. Uh, on the camera, as I say, there was no huge upgrade. There's more megapixels and data and it has this and the other. So I wasn't really paying that much of attention to it. But it's what the software does within the phone. And this includes the camera, okay? So they have done some amazing things. Um, one of them is best take. This is the one that got everybody go, woo. And essentially, you know how you're taking a photo of people or a group of people, all right? And you take three, four, five photos. Mm. And in every darn photo, there's always at least one person who's blinking. Yeah. Or they just don't have the smile or whatever it is. Uh, with the best take, what a, a Google phone will do for you now, a Pixel phone, is it will take those five and it will take the best face from each one and then create a composite photo, which is perfect. Oh, that's kind of interesting. It is. So uh, so that was that. Uh, also with the camera side of things, uh, they've got, a, they're bringing out a thing called Video Boost. They talked about it. It's not available immediately on the phone, but if you get the Pro phone, you're able to take a piece of video that you shot you upload it to Google servers and then they will do all kinds of amazing things so that when you get it back, it will just look amazing. Right. Allegedly. So the, the good work isn't done on the phone. It's done on in the cloud on this other service. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And that's uh, that's happening a lot with them. Um, I'm finding that with our own productions side of things. It's like, yeah, oh, you just upload the files. Uh, let our servers do everything and then download. And that sounds okay when you're doing one, but when you've got three or four different services and you have to do three or four, it gets to be a real pain mm. real fast. However, uh, the video boost, we'll see what it does. Uh, the best take I thought was very good. Uh, AI as well uh, on the video on the phone. Uh, they're using what they, you know, the magic eraser that they have with uh, photos. Yeah. So that if you take a photo and there's somebody ugly in the background, you can take them out mm. and, known as any of the wiser. Uh, they've now got an, um, an audio magic eraser and the way that they described it was there was a baby going goo goo ga, 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 ga. and in the background all you can hear is a dog going woof woof woof. All right. Mm-hmm. So they said let's audio magic erase the dog. Oh. So they took out the barking in the background so that all you were left was the baby going gig 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 All right. So that was kind of interesting. And that's a lot of AI technology that's been around for the last 12 months or so. So mm. they're building it into uh, into that. Um, what else do they have? Um, the, the AI will summarize text. So if you're looking at um, a, like a long web page or something like that, you can just ask the phone, say, hey, summarize this, please. Okay. Mm. So you're getting your, your uh, chat GPT kind of feature in there. Mm. Uh, it will also look at your emails. And you can say, give me a summary of my emails or give me the three most important emails. It'll do all that kind of stuff for you as well. Yeah. And then with the voice recorder, here's interesting. I don't know if you use the voice recorder much on, on, on your phone, but the voice recorder can automatically transcribe what it is that you're saying. Okay, nothing new there. But now it will also summarize what you were saying. Hmm. So if you use the voice recorder in a meeting, when you leave the meeting, you will have a transcription of that uh, chat with everybody and then it will also do a summary. Yeah, Zoom How is, good it uh, is. Zoom and Teams have something similar, don't they? They're all doing, they're hmm. all doing 
this. And I kind of, I found, you know, with the, uh, with the AI, the last, the other thing I was going to say was just in general, away from the phones, but staying with AI is they have developed a Google Assistant. Mm. So Google Assistant, as we know, is like, you know, hey, set an alarm to go off at half two or blah, 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 or remind me or whatever happens to be. Fairly kind of basic stuff. But now they have integrated with Bard, which is their AI. Mm. So now you're able to kind of say, check my email and tell me if I have any events coming up on Friday night. And it will say, hey, you know, you're going over to Niles and you're going to do um, uh, Coke all night, obviously the drink. And uh, then you say, okay, I've forgotten uh, where Niall lives because I was so blasted the last time. <laughs> What's his address? And it will pick it up and it'll show you on the map and give you directions from where you are and all that. So it's building in Bard with the assistant. And it reminds me a lot of Microsoft Copilot, which is just starting to roll out across the world at the mm. moment. It's accessing all of your information and it knows from that the best answer to give you for whatever it is your query is. The only thing, I'll tell you, if I if I get Google Assistant with Bard, my first question will be, can you come up with a new name for Google Assistant with Bard? <laughs> it's awful. It's just awful. It does not trip off the tongue. What else did they reveal at Google? Uh, Pixel Buds Pro. Uh, again, this is going back, maybe it's because I'm an audio guide that I'm a little bit excited mm. about all of this stuff. Uh, audio Magic Eraser I mentioned. The Pixel Buds Pro, they're improving them a little bit. One thing that drives me, there's two things that drives me nuts about Bluetooth uh Earpods, right? Number one is the latency is horrible. All right. So if you're trying to watch a movie or something like that or YouTube or whatever and you've got Bluetooth uh, earphones in, bleh, the gap is horrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also uh, they deliberately squash the voice down to the bare minimum for practicality uh, so that you can hear, but the quality isn't very good. Yeah. Because we get people on a podcast all the time. They're wearing these pods and they sound like monkeys. Yeah. And it's time not to wear them. Yeah, we're not fans. So they have. No. They, so they have improved that. They say they've got a low latency mode. So if you are watching videos or whatever, you, it will all sync up properly. And for the voice, they're now calling a super wideband Bluetooth for voice. So that'll be a little bit better. Um, I think they're giving a little bit more frequency space to the voice. But the other thing that they are doing is a feature, because you have to name everything, mm-hmm. is called clear calling. And again, it's back to AI and what it's able to do with sound and with clear calling what the phone is doing or the AI is doing is it's sussing out what's the voice, what's the background noise of traffic, cows, whatever it is you happen to be. Mm. Um, And it takes out the background noise so that the majority of what's left is your voice and people are able to hear you much clearer. So it's the magic eraser at work. It's exactly live. That's exactly what it is. Mm. So it's interesting that they've uh, included that, but that's only in the Pixel Buds Pro, all right? Mm -hmm. They don't do that with calls on the actual main phone itself, which is kind of interesting. Okay. Uh, And then the other thing that they're doing with Pixel Buds Pro is uh, they've got a a conversation detection feature so that if you're walking along and you're happily listening to, you know, kind of Metallica or whatever it is you're into, and, uh, you know, somebody stops and goes, hey, no, how you doing? As soon as you start talking, it will stop the music. It'll put it on pause. 
I mm. go into what they call transparency mode. <laughs> so you're able to hear what the other person is saying. Right. Um, but I kind of, I, I don't like that feature. Uh, I would turn it off because a lot of the reason for me wearing earbuds when I'm walking down the road is that I don't hear Niall <laughs> coming up going, how are you doing? Oh, I'm trying to avoid him. So you have that, all right. Um, and then what else have we got? Android 14 is coming out. It's got some nice things. Again, on the AI side of things, it'll do... Um, I'm one of the... If you've got a phone with uh, two sides to it, all right? Mm-hmm. As in, you've got a front screen, one of these uh, fold phones or one that opens up like a book. Uh, and you have a front screen and then you've got a main screen. What it will do with its translation app is it will show one language on one side and one language on the other. So if I'm speaking to somebody in Spain, uh, I can just hold the phone up in front of them and they will see on the front of the phone what it is I'm saying. It'll be typed in English and then they'll reply to me. And then on my side of the phone, my screen will show me uh, what they're saying in Spanish. Yeah. Talk. Okay. Yeah. It's a, you know, kind of another gimmick. But the best bit, the best bit for the very end. Mm-hmm. Google have now said that they will software support their Pixel phones for seven years. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. If you buy a Pixel 8 now, you know that the software on it will be supported for seven years. And I think that is fan. Fantastic. I, I like this that is they're the thing that, up front with it. Yes, unlike uh, others. Uh, it drives me nuts with, I mean, Microsoft are not so bad. Apple are absolutely terrible. Absolutely terrible. Once they start uh, stop supporting the software for a particular piece of hardware, that hardware stops working properly and uh, it, it loses its value almost overnight. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, bravo to Google. So now there you go. That's uh, that's up up to up to speed. Very fast. You you took one on for the team there, it, Dusty. You took one for the team. <laughs> it is interesting what they're doing with the AI. The AI side of it is what blew me away. Um, the phones, yeah, whatever. The headphones, yeah, whatever. You know, the, but the AI side. Of it. So listen, uh, I've got some other little bits of news, but uh, you were chatting and I didn't quite get the full story. So perhaps fill me in on uh, Let's Go Crypto with Sam Bankman-Fried. Yeah. Now, I, at the end of last year, we asked the question, who will be the person of 2023? And I said Sam Bankman-Fried and I was completely wrong or either I think- well. We were asked what the trend was for, for 2023. I said Sam, Sam Bankman-Fried was going to be, it, the, his case was going to be the big thing. Um, and it's, he's, he's finishing the year strong. I'll, I'll give him that much. Uh, I mean, it's October and this story is starting to ramp up again. Um, I think it was like December, January when, when it initially broke. Um, you might remember the case that he's involved in. He was, you know, a crypto billionaire, one of these 30 under 30 geniuses out there. He had cracked cryptocurrency. He was the owner of a cryptocurrency exchange called FTX, um, an exchange being, you know, where you can buy and sell cryptocurrencies of any kind. Um, but it also sort of functioned as a, as a bank as well, primarily as such. But, you know, it, it had the, many of the characteristics of a bank. And it turned out that he was moving millions, nay, billions in customer funds from FTX into a hedge fund that he co-founded called Alameda Research, uh, or sort of, I think, I think he founded himself. But um, 
Unfortunately, his hedge fund started making very risky bets with money that came from FTX. So when the crypto crash came, kablamo, the both uh, sort of endeavors were ruined pretty much overnight. Also not helped by the CEO of Binance, a competing exchange, saying, do you know what? FTX has their own uh, their own token, their own coin. We're getting out of it. Mm. We're not interested. So when, you know, your primary competitor is saying that your your product or pseudo product is is dodgy, um, that's kind of it. And Bankman Freed mm. argued that, you know, this was one of the things that helped sink FTX, that you had a, a, a real influencer in the industry basically say he had no faith in you. And that was that was it. That was it for him. So his defense, having, you know, uh, uh, wasted people's money on uh, risky bets and apparently a fairly uh, uh, luxurious lifestyle, to say, to say the least, um, included in which was significant political donations to members of both the Republican and the Democratic parties in the States uh, to sort of get rid of people that were crypto skeptic and bring in more mm. people or fund people's campaigns who would be more um, more receptive to the crypto movement. Um, so he's on trial now for seven counts of fraud and conspiracy. If things go as badly as they could and he gets the full uh, full sanction in each charge. He could go down for 110 years in prison in the States because you can, that's a thing that can happen. Ah, uh, yeah. But Niall, but Niall, he never serve all of that. No, no, no. Well, <laughs> he'll never get there. No. Um, uh, here's the thing though. He made the cardinal error in America. Uh, same thing Elizabeth Holmes did. He messed with the money and uh, that's, that's exactly. it. He's going to go down exactly. hard on this. In some ways, it reminds me of all the financial shenanigans that were going on. Do you remember in 2008? Oh, yeah. When people were putting money into, you know, kind of mortgage funds and then they were selling AAA kind of the bags of stocks and shares or whatever. Yeah. But they were full of C and all that kind of stuff. That's what it reminds me of. Well, as it happens, it's very interesting that you, that you raise that point because Michael Lewis, who was the author of The Big Short, uh, which is that really good book and movie uh, explaining what happened in 2008 and how some people uh, mm. saw the crash was was coming and how many other people either wouldn't say uh, or had just been drinking the Kool-Aid and, and refused to uh, look for any warning signs. So book is out mm. now. Uh, Michael Lewis, Going Infinite, uh, The Rise and Fall of a New Tycoon. Uh, apparently he spent six months hanging around uh, Bankman Freed before all this blew up. Um, and <gasps> in his own words, he said it's a letter to the jury in the trial. Wow. Wow. Okay. That's a, it's a going infinite is the, uh, the name of the book. Yeah, yeah. That's the book. All right. Okay. In, in some ways, I'm immediately kind of going, ah, I hope to make a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'll catch the movie. Yeah, okay, AI to summarise it for me. But yeah. anyways, um, other news this week, uh, some quickies for you. Uh, NASA, as we know, are planning on going back to the moon in 2025. Artemis is the uh, the name of the project. And the uh, the spacesuits for the moon mission are going to be designed by, drumroll please, da, 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 Prada. Now, who wins in this? 
Like, I mean, how much is... Prada are kind of claiming that they have science and technology behind all of the things that they make, which is going to blah, 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 blah. And then also the fact that they are more of a fashion house, they will make the suits more practical and livable and, you know, suited better to the human body than these big chunky things of old. Okay. Um, that's that's what they're saying. Um I don't know what NASA gets out of it. Uh, and then Prada. I mean, is Prada the kind of brand that you want to be seen associated with landing on the moon? It's kind of like, you know, like if Curry's were involved with the man landing on the moon, that would make sense because they're a technology store. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But Prada. Well, it's like, hello, I, I'm the first man on the moon and look at my handbag. Amazing. Uh, I, I, I think you're being slightly facetious there. I, 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 Moi, it's, facetious. They, they will be carrying man bags, not handbags. Let's get this right. So <laughs> they'll be carrying proper tool bags. They, they, yeah, uh, that made... That, that made me smile. Uh, all the news, uh, Apple iOS has, has had, the iPhone 15 has had a really, we're almost nearly, do you remember iPhone antenna gate mm. with the iPhone 4? Yeah. So they're having something similar where iPhone 15 is overheating quite a lot at the moment in, in, in some of the units, but they have released an iOS fix for that, uh, which apparently works. And then the last piece of news is actually quite interesting. Yeah. Uh, Facebook and TikTok are both looking to charge for an ad-free service, okay? So TikTok, I can kind of get it because you know, a lot of people get really infuriated with TikTok and YouTube and the way the ads go in and, da, da, and all that kind of stuff. Facebook charging for ad-free service is a little bit more interesting because it's all to do with our friends at the EU. Mm. As we know, Facebook makes his money out of advertising and in order to know what it is that you like, and to make the advertising effective, they need to know uh, your data. They need to look at what you're posting up online and they use that data then in order to, to help the advertisers. But the EU have said people need to specifically give you permission to use their data for the purposes of advertising. And Facebook are kind of going, uh-oh, uh, Apple did this. <laughs> What, two years ago, was it? Mm -hmm. A disaster. Yeah. Because every Apple user was kind of asked, do you want Facebook to use your data for uh, you know advertising purposes? And of course, 99.99% of people went, no way. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> no thanks. So now they're facing the same thing uh, in the EU. And the way that Facebook are looking at it is they are saying, okay, here's the deal, peeps. You want to use Facebook for free? you say that we can use your data for advertising, okay? That's that's how it works. And everything will continue on as it has been for now. But if you don't want us to use your data, well, then you're going to have to pay for an ad-free service. Yeah. And they're looking at something around the region of between 10 and 15 euro a month. To use Facebook. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that little giggle and smile says it all. Yeah. Anyway, we will see. It could be a lot of, you know, gesticulating and stuff like that. Uh, listen, finally, let's uh, wrap up with um, a conspiracy theory that you have for us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, put on your tinfoil hat. This is hilarious. And um, this is something that blew up on X, the social network formerly known as Twitter, which we all have to uh, refer to it as. So, uh, you know, Having fewer characters. I don't, I don't, I don't, 
Can I ask you about that? Because you're in the yeah. world of journalism, all right? Mm -hmm. Was yeah. there an instruction from Twitter that says that you have to call it now X, formerly known as Twitter? No. But people Th haven't. just what people are doing. Yeah. People haven't made that full no. transition yet, you know? I know. I know. So anyway, that's a whole other catastrophe. Uh, mm. Tell me about the conspiracy theory. Yeah. So this went uh, viral uh, the other day. I think it was Tuesday. Um, basically, what happened was that in America, they set off a test of the national emergency warning system. Right. You might remember mm -hmm. last year, something uh, very similar happened in uh, Hawaii. Everybody got a text message saying, ah, the missiles are coming. Um, and, you know, most people went, well, what? And then it turned out that you know, somebody had, you know, uh, it was a test of the system. Sorry about that. Nothing, mm -hmm. nothing untoward is about to happen. You know, let's move on. Ha ha ha. Wasn't it funny? Uh, in sort of the US proper, as in, you know, the full 50 plus states, they ran a similar test. However, word did not seem to reach everybody uh, that, you know, this was going to be a proper test or some people were just, you know, um, suspicious as to the nature and purpose of this test. So, mm. uh, sorry, it was on Wednesday and it was about 20 to 3 during the day people's phones started vibrating, right? And people got a text message from the government. Um, and, you know, it was of the sort of wording, if you've gotten this, thanks very much. You can ignore it. You know, nothing, nothing is happening. We're just testing the system. However, some people thought this was literally a warning for either triggering of World War III or that the test was delivered using 5G and would activate the Marburg virus in people who'd been vaccinated and um, presumably vaccinated against COVID because the Marburg vi virus is a particularly nasty piece of work um, for which at the moment there's, there's no treatment. Um, uh, or if you're in a similarly bad space, um, you might turn into a zombie. And this happened where, did you say? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. It, 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 <laughs> if, if I said it has been concentrated in the Florida area. I uh, come on, come on, come on, come on. Listen, I'm, I, I now I absolutely am being facetious uh, because, I mean, they had a similar test of a government communication system in the UK next door to us. Mm. And uh, and that also was a bit of a, a cluster mess up. Yeah. Um, and it didn't work exactly the way that they want, which kind of worries me a little bit because it sounds like this is a, do you know what? It's kind of going back to the simplicity of years gone by, all right? Years gone by, the way that it would work in the States, Ireland, in the UK, whatever. If there was a national emergency, there was a system in place where a message could be broadcast on radio because at the time that was the medium that most people would listen to during the day, mm, all right? Yeah. And the word would get out very, very quickly about that. And it would it would come centrally from the government, directly connected to the radio stations, of which, I mean, even in America, there's maybe 3,000 radio stations. That's it, all right? So it's a simple system. It's much smaller. Now, of course, it's going through mobile phones, which is fantastic, okay, because you can literally get everybody individually. But it's just not working. Um, I, and I, I don't know why. But anyways. Well, that's pe but, uh, people it is don't trust the system 
And sometimes, I don't want to say the system can be gamed, mm. but it, it reminds me vaguely of uh, Orson Welles' War of the Worlds. Um, uh, I won't even call it an experiment. Which again was a radio play. Yeah, yeah a radio that play. Kind of demonstrates what I was saying. And yeah. the, the funniest thing about it was that at the start of, of the broadcast, it was specifically said, this is a play, right? Yeah. But um, War of the Worlds was broadcast opposite a very, uh, a different, very popular program. So when said program went on a, a commercial break, people hopped over to the radio, to the other station. And they, they heard that, you know, uh, Earth was being invaded and that's where all the crazy came from. Um, I know. Yeah. I know. It's funny, isn't it? And, and you know what? The same thing could happen today. But anyways, that's a, that all kind of ties in with our interview this week, which is kind of all about, you know, social media. And as you say, with the crowd and the wisdom of the crowds and what's what's good and what's bad. But we'll get into that in just a second. Uh, right now, though, Niall, as always, thank you very much for keeping us up to date with all that's happening in the world of tech news. This is Tech Radio from techcentral.ie. Get every episode of Tech Radio by clicking follow on your podcast player right now. We've already talked today about some of the benefits and dangers of social media, whether it's connecting us with relatives or spreading misinformation about vaccines. Dr. Taha Yasseri is Associate Professor at UCD's School of Sociology. During the week, he had a chat with Niall Kitson about the history of social media platforms and how the wisdom of crowds can make them work better for everyone. Fascinating interview. Take a listen. We're kind of in an age where we're used to communicating with people online, but in ways that are progressively less civilized or progressively more coarse, I think, uh, as the years have gone on. Where has this evolution in our discourse come from? Is it a matter of, you know, the platforms becoming more uh, prolific? Or is this something that's a function of, you know, just being actually able to talk to people in a certain way and not be policed about it? So l- let's look at sort of the the history of these platforms to begin with. Right. Well, that, that's a very good question. Um, and thanks for giving me the chance to, to contribute my two cents. Um, well, when you look at the history of these platforms, uh, you immediately notice that there hasn't been much of thinking going into the design, the function, the even purpose. Uh, if you look at the very first uh, tweets, and then called uh, Twitter and now called X, it's just somewhere for people to say what they had for breakfast and what they're going to do in the afternoon. Uh, no one had the idea that this is going to become the platform uh, for politicians to announce new policies, to declare wars and, you know, all sorts of more important things than what you had for breakfast. But the design was for that purpose. The design was not really thought through. Uh, and these few individuals, really a handful of very uh, bright uh, individuals with visionary ideas created these platforms about 20 years ago, some of them a bit later. And then because of the popularity and because of the widespread use of them, all of a sudden found themselves in a situation that was a little bit awkward. Then they had to start thinking, oh, how we can fix these platforms and how we can improve them because we found all of a sudden ourselves in a situation that the new technology seemed to have made us a little bit dumber, if I may. Um, so that that's the story. Um, 
it's okay. It, similar to any other technology, it takes time to come up with regulations, to come up with better designs. You know, a few days ago, I was reading about electricity and how many people sadly uh, lost their lives uh, during the first even 50 years of the invention because we didn't have regulations. We didn't know how to use this very exciting new thing, which was, um, you know, industrialized and commercialized electricity. It's the same. This is a new technology. We only have been dealing with it for 20 years. Uh, it's exciting. It gives us great opportunities. Yet we need to figure out how to use it the best. I think this is one of the issues that we came across when you have engineers solving technical problems, but the same people having to effectively solve a social problem as well. Uh, so we have moderation teams and policy really lagging behind the technical element of what was going on. Do you think there were perhaps the way we talk to each other was influenced by this lack of awareness or foresight on what people would actually be doing on these platforms? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, you might remember Twitter initially started with 140 characters uh, for the tweets. And I'm not sure how much thinking has gone into this, uh, you know, very important feature of the platform. Uh, and what I can tell you, I'm sure not enough, because when you make people say things in less than 140 characters, the nuance is definitely lost. The context is lost. Uh, there has been enormous uh, number of research projects showing that uh, the level of aggression increases when we uh, try to convey the same message in shorter or in a limited number of characters or words in shorter sentences. Uh, all this happened. Sure, 140 characters is enough uh, for me to tell you what I'm going to do over the weekend, but definitely not long enough for uh, explaining some new policies in a new country. Uh, sorry, some new policies in a country. Um, so these design elements uh, did not really, um, have not been selected, have not been uh, thought through to, for, to fit the purpose, the use that they have today and the role that they play in our societies. Um, again, Facebook and Twitter and similar platforms, Orkut, uh, MySpace, they started as, you know, little projects, uh, just as you say, for, for a crack. But then uh, gradually they become so important in our societies that uh, we realize that we need to rethink them, redesign them and uh, relearn how to how to improve the quality of these services. Raising those uh, examples such as MySpace uh, and Orkut and indeed Bebo, uh, as was so popular here years ago uh, with a, a much younger demographic than uh, than Facebook, even even then, uh, we've seen that in order to become profitable, social networks have stood back from the idea of quality content to move towards engagement and what is getting eyeballs. Um, to, I suppose the the detriment uh, of us as you know rational human beings that want to have conversations, uh, or people that just want to read and learn about what they already think or already think they know. Um, how big is this a problem? Is it being overstated, or 
indeed, are we being uh, warped en masse by social media? Right. Well, I think um, the way that currently these platforms measure quality, as you said, which is through the engagement, which is by counting the number of views, likes, shares, reshares, and so on, is a very superficial and it's a very uh, shallow way of trying to measure quality or predict the popularity of the piece of content. Uh, I think it's okay if the emphasis remains on popularity, but the way you can approach popularity could be very different uh, and could be more nuanced and could be more sophisticated. Um, let me give you a more positive example of uh, projects that, again, started about 20 years ago with a very innovative and very, uh, if I may say, uh, crazy idea, Wikipedia, uh, an encyclopedia that every human being with access to the internet could contribute to, could write the encyclopedia. Even today, still, this sounds like uh, something that would never work. Yet it did work, and Wikipedia is one of the last nice places, one of the last good places on the internet. Even today, we still use it, and we have moved on from those days that we used to make fun of Wikipedia. Uh, so what, what, how come that some platform, some project like Wikipedia works, and then social media do not? I think it has to do with the design and the way that uh, communicate, uh, sorry, I think it has to do with the design and the way that uh, uh, community members interact with one another. Uh, Wikipedia is not about democracy. Uh, there is no vote counting happening in Wikipedia. It's always about consensus building. Uh, if a decision needs to be made, uh, how to write an article, how to title an article, which information to include and not to include, all these issues, all these decisions are made through consensus. Oh, sorry. Okay. All, these all these decisions are made through consensus building procedures. And that is the key ingredient in the success of Wikipedia. Uh, if they would also count the number of people who support an idea versus the opposing idea, that would have ended up also in a similar situation where uh, people could use sock puppetry, people could uh, gang against each other and so on. This is not how Wikipedia works. And this is one very good example that we can learn from and we can take some of these uh, good experiences from Wikipedia or other successful platforms and take them to uh, less successful platforms like uh, Facebook, X and such. Yeah, I think Wikipedia is a really good example of the wisdom of crowds uh, at work. And a couple of years ago, I think uh, uh, it was opened up that you could see the reasons why certain ad edits were being made on Wikipedia. And some of the, some of the answers were actually quite humorous. Uh, I remember on a, a band's page, uh, somebody sort of wrote in, you know, why did you uh, make this change? It's like, well, I married the guy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I, I think once you sort of see that level of consensus and level of uh, accountability, that it really instills um, confidence in the platform in a way that we see crumbling uh, in the case of X, which I think is a really interesting uh, example of what can go wrong when something that moves so far away from its uh, initial mission of sharing, you know, fairly smaller, you know, inconsequential bites of information to becoming megahorns or blowhorns, if you will, um, for you know, uh, fairly sizable misinformation and disinformation campaigns. Which one do you think is going to have 
a greater effect in the future on the kind of platforms that we get see developed after Facebook, after X? Are we going to see new forms of moderation uh, come on stream based on communities? Or are we going to see greater um, uh, financial investment in larger and larger in-house moderation teams? Well, my my answer or my choice from these two options would be the former. Uh, I do not think uh, in-house paid or in-house, uh, let's say, uh, financially driven moderation could take us far enough because uh, you can imagine millions and billions of pieces of content and information have to be verified, have to be fact-checked if we want to have a clean environment. Um, this is something that can only be done uh, through utilizing the wisdom and the power of the crowd and by uh, creating uh, community norms and changing the culture. Uh, no matter how um, how much these platforms invest in in-house moderation, people find a way to you know to go around those moderation procedures. Yet, if we manage to change the culture, if we manage to encourage more collaborative uh, environments uh, and a healthy uh, information exchange ecosystem, I think that's much more sustainable and cheaper. Uh, even if uh, these platforms' uh, intention is to make more money, which is part of the problem. And again, one of the main differences between Wikipedia and, let's say, uh, Facebook or X is the, is the business model. Wikipedia is not for profit, uh, yet it is among the most popular and uh, it has the, it's, it's been always among the top five or top 10 most visited websites over the past 20 years. Um, but the other platforms are for profit. Uh, but even if, and that is fine, I don't have any problem with that. But even to maximize that profit, I think the best solution would be to mobilize the users, communities, and uh, people who, at the end of the day, contribute to these platforms uh, to uh, build and sustain a more uh, a healthier and uh, less toxic, less polarizing environment. Let's look ahead to solutions that are actually sort of potentially within the palm of our hands at the moment, where we're looking at decentralized networks like uh, Tribal or like Mastodon that take a kind of community uh, focused approach. And so far, I've noticed there being a lot less in the way of misinformation and disinformation. Is there something about this new model of platform that potentially solves an awful lot of our misinformation and disinformation problems? I think so, and I am very pleased to see these initiatives. Uh, They might stick around, they might disappear, but the point is that we want to move on from a monopoly of uh, social media platforms um, just because we have to experiment with different designs, we have to experiment with uh, different ways of running such platforms, we, we just arrived to this new environment. Uh, 20 years is a very short time. And, you know, when you look at the history of communication uh, in human societies, we have to uh, attempt different designs. Uh, I'm not sure if necessarily uh, Mastodon, for example, would become the mainstream uh, social media platform. I, in fact, doubt that just because of the technicalities that require are required for users to use it. Uh, I, my suspicion is that it's 
it remains and it becomes more of a sort of fringe uh, elite sort of platform, which is fine again. But if we want to have a widespread, successful, popular mainstream platform, we have to try and we have to be open to different designs. And we have to be, as platform owners, less greedy instead of trying to make the most amount of money, the largest amount of money in the shortest amount of time. We have to be a little bit more uh, future thinking and uh, think about sustainability of our platforms and the role that the platforms could play in a greater society. And that was Niall Kitten chatting with Dr. Taha Yasseri, Associate Professor at UCD's School of Sociology. This is Tech Radio. That's it for our show this week. Do check out some of the other stories we have online we didn't get to chat about on the podcast, including what IT professionals really think of AI, why parents need to have more control over their children's screen time, and a series of new job announcements from around the country. All of those, as I say, online at techcentral.ie. We're back again next Friday on RTE Radio 1 Extra. Where you, of course, you can get new episodes automatically by clicking follow on your podcast player. Until then, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Niall Kitson, as always, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Tech Radio is produced by DustPod.io. From me, Artemis, goodbye. Goodbye.